Now, NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. Today's return guest is Pastor John Burke, whose own investigative journey into NDEs began in the 1980s when his father was dying from cancer. John was an agnostic when he first discovered eyewitness NDE accounts in a book in his father's room, Raymond Moody's Life After Life. John couldn't help asking himself, could this be real evidence, even possible proof of God's existence? Today, John Burke is a senior pastor at the church he and his wife, Kathy, founded, Gateway Church, a multi-site church based in Austin, Texas. John is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Imagine Heaven, along with the books No Perfect People Allowed, Soul Revolution, and Unshockable Love. He has researched thousands of NDE stories and spoken to audiences across 30 countries. About his new book, Imagine the God of Heaven, John writes, I left my career in engineering to become a pastor, largely because I wanted to help people discover the things I'm sharing in this book. I believe God is giving our global village evidence not only of his reality, but also of the relentless and unconditional love he has for every single person on the planet. We last interviewed John on NDE Radio in April of 2021. John Burke, welcome back to NDE Radio. Hey, Lee, thanks so much for having me back. Oh, it's wonderful to have you back. And I really enjoyed your book. John, you've been a a major force in integrating near-death experience with Bible-based Christian worship. Hmm. Has that become easier over the last 25 years you've been doing it? I think so. 25 years ago, most Christians were not open at all to near-death experiences. You know, and I've got theories of why that was. But nonetheless, I I think it kind of created a divide between many in the church and people who had had near-death experiences, which I think was very unfortunate. And so when I wrote in 2015, I, I really did. I said to God, well, Lord, this might be the end of my ministry, but I know it's what you want me to do. So here goes. <laughs> wow. I know in your new book, you write, within the walls of religion, people tend to develop an us versus them mentality, which designates them, in quotes, as an undesirable other or an outcast. And this is really the opposite of loving relationship and is counter to the purpose for which God created us all. And then you say, as you will see throughout your new book, NDEers around the globe meet the same I am that Jesus claimed to reveal. And you cite John 8. 58. So why do you suppose so many pastors and priests have been reluctant to acknowledge the reality of NDEs? Well, I mean, as you know, you know, when I first started studying them back in the 80s, and I think you go you go back that far with them as well, don't you? Oh, well, I had a childhood NDE myself, so I go back to seven years old, but okay. I, I got <laughs> truly interested in it after uh, entering seminary and becoming a chaplain, hospital chaplain, and and speaking to many people in the hospital who'd had NDEs. Right. So I think initially, 
you know, there's mystery to them. And everyone, regardless of what they report in their NDE, they also have cultural filters and they're going to interpret as well. And and I think I think a lot of people who had near-death experiences would go to their pastor or their priest um, back in the 80s to try to make sense of it. And unfortunately, because there wasn't much out there about them, um, I think a lot of, I think, unfortunately, a lot of pastors and priests just pushed it away, just thought, oh, this is weird. I don't know what it is. Stay away from that. And that's kind of the only advice a lot of people got, which was very, of course, as you know, very soul crushing because here's here's something so sacred you know people who have ndes are are they're reticent to even bring it forth because they don't they want to be told they're crazy when this was more real than the life we think is real um and and so i think that you know i think that was a big source of it i think as more and more came forward and I think, you know, I think tr- trying to help, um, you know, what I, what I was trying to do is show that the things that the Bible talks about and has talked about all along align with what the commonalities of what indie ears experience. Yeah. And in this new book, and Imagine the God of Heaven, I've actually interviewed people, 70 people from every continent. And it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's astounding. Um, they're not necessarily experiencing the God that they were expecting, or in some cases weren't expecting anything, but they are encountering the same God. Even if sometimes they don't interpret that God's identity the same. Well, and Imagine Heaven came out. It was a New York Times bestseller. Now you've written the follow-up, Imagine the God of Heaven. What does this book cover about God that the last one didn't? Well, a lot. <laughs> First of all, I'm trying to show that God is the God of all nations, just as you read, you know, that he's always been the God of all nations. There there aren't other options. But also, I've got stories from Santosh, who grew up in India. He's a manufacturing engineer. He hears code blue. This divine light comes. He knows this light is divine. He said it had ultimate authority. I knew I had to obey it, but I wanted to, and I fell in love with this light. Mm-hmm. And then he is taken by this God of light to the city that he describes, and he describes the same city that John describes in Revelation chapter 21. But he called it, when he when he talked to me, he called it a giant compound, a high-walled compound. Well, I've been to India many times, and they're, you know, they're high-walled compounds uh, everywhere. Um, but he said, but this was thousands of miles and in a square shape and inside just gorgeous, these beautiful buildings of otherworldly material and 12 gates. I counted them, he said, <laughs> and angels outside the gates. And that's when I knew I'm looking at the kingdom of heaven. And he said, my heart's desire was to live there, to to go in. And he goes on and has this experience with this God he sees on a throne who he says is the almighty and he's struck by the compassion and the tenderness and how personal God is. God says to him, I'm going to send you back, Santosh. And when you go back, I want you to love your family and especially your daughter. She needs your help right now. And it's just, you know, it, you realize that even if we don't know this God, this God knows us and he's with us and he cares about us. He cares about his daughter. 
And he knows what his daughter needs, you know. Swedeek, uh, it was an imam in Rwanda that I interviewed who says he started in a hellish near-death experience and this man of light comes into the room and he has a beard and a, a robe of white, but the light was brighter than the sun and piercing his eyes. And he holds out his hands and he sees holes in his hands. And Swadik had seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And he said, that's who this was. And Jesus says to him, I died for mankind. You're among those I died for. Never deny it and tell everyone. And here's this former Muslim imam who now tells everyone, and he's had seven death threats on his life. He's still in Rwanda. Bibi, a woman related to the Prophet Muhammad in Tehran, sees the same almighty God that Santosh describes, and he says to her, this is when she has a heart attack, he says to her, I am he who is. Well, that's exactly what the brilliant God of light on Mount Sinai tells Moses, right? <laughs> yes. And I mean, so story after story, a young Jewish girl, Heidi, who um, she grew up with a father who told her, there is no God, your life is worthless, and Jesus Christ is the biggest hoax ever perpetrated on mankind. And he was abusive. Yes. And, and she prayed, she believed in God, and she prayed to God every night as a little girl, and she said she felt this comforting presence every night. And then at 16, her horse crushes, falls back on her and crushes her. And she's up 30 feet in the air. And she said, I, I knew I was dead, but I didn't care about that. I, I was just concerned my sisters had to see me die this way. And then she sees a light over her shoulder and she turns and looks and she said, there was Jesus floating up 30 feet in the air with me. <laughs> you look like Jesus. And she said, hey, I know you. And she said, I was not surprised at all. Like, you know, what's a good Jewish girl like me doing with Jesus? I'm not supposed to be with Jesus. She said, no, this was the God I had prayed to my whole life. And I knew it. And then in her life review, he shows her herself praying each night as a little girl and himself sitting by her bed, comforting her. Yeah. On and on and on. Stories like this. I love the fact that you and I have interviewed some of the same people. <laughs> oh, have uh, you? Yes, Heidi and Santosh. And I wanted to ask you specifically about Santosh, because you do quote him in your book. And he says, the Lord spoke to me, and he was very kind and loving and a, like a true friend with genuine concern for each and every one of us. But what he said on my show, too, was he was afraid that because he didn't see his parents in heaven, that they had not become Christian, and he was afraid that they had not made it into heaven on that account, which kind of flies in the face of what Jesus said, that at least according to NDE, is that there is no religion in heaven. <laughs> you know, as a pastor, as a Christian pastor, I do believe, I do believe Jesus died to pay for the wrongs of every person. Mm -hmm. But I don't think God cares about Christianity. I don't think he cares about religion per se. I think what he cares about is our heart. And I think that's what God looks at. And I think that's what he indicated to Santosh as well. What he said to Santosh, because Santosh, if you recall, also saw this very narrow gate open to him into the yes. kingdom of heaven. Yes. And he said, Lord, when, when I come back, I want to go through that narrow 
gay. And he said, what do I have to do? And the Lord was very hesitant to answer him. And I find that's always true. I mean, when this brilliant God of light appeared to Saul on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9, you know, Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, he was persecuting Christians. He didn't believe in Jesus at all. But still, that's who appeared to him as this blinding God of light. And then when he asked, he tells him. But Jesus doesn't tell him what to do. Later, Ananias comes, you know, and explains that that Jesus died to forgive us all our sins. And then Paul still had to make a choice, you know, do I want this God in my life or do I want to keep going the way of a Pharisee? Because he was doing really well. He had a lot of power and a lot of prestige and a lot of money. And so I think that's still true with NDEers as well. I personally think an NDE is not indicative of eternity. I think there's a border or a boundary that, you know, about 30% of NDEs say they can't cross over and still come back. Yes. And in Imagine the God of Heaven, in several of the accounts, Jesus tells them, you haven't died yet. You have to go back. Hmm. Well, but they had clinically died. I mean, they didn't have a heartbeat or brainwave. So whatever these NDEs are, I think it's something in between what we know of clinical death and wherever that starts into eternal life or eternal death, you know, the, the second death that Revelation 20 talks about. Yeah. So I don't know if I answered your question or not. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think the main thing, and that's what I'm trying to show and imagine the God of heaven to Christians and non-Christians alike is to all people is that God is not, he doesn't favor one group of people over another. He doesn't. You know, it's just like what, what Peter said in in, um, in Acts chapter 10, when God sees the heart of Cornelius, who was a, he was a pagan Roman soldier who grew up in idol worship, yes. but he was sincerely seeking God and God saw his heart and God sends Peter to explain what he had done for him through Jesus. But Peter says, I now see that God doesn't play favoritism. He accepts everyone from every nation who's, who seeks him or fears him and does what is right. And so I think God sees the heart and he wants people to know, because I think all of us, I think all of us, you know, we all know we've done right and we've done wrong too. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, you know, like Santosh said, how do I go back and erase all my wrongs of the past? I can't, it's the past. And yet God has claim to take that away so that a heart turning to him is forgiven and made right. Perhaps this is the barrier that some churches have against accepting NDEs because they NDEs are so universal and emphasize the fact that God loves all of us equally well. And, you know, this does not play well in a fundamentalist congregation, for instance, where they think we're the only ones that are going to heaven. Yeah. And, you know, I have in the book, I mean, like Dean Braxton, he was a Christian when he had this near-death experience. And he said, you know, the Lord really kind of took him to task. First of all, his Aunt Barbara was there. And he said, I had her in the other place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I> re- <laughs> And as he was looking into the eyes of Jesus, he realized, like, he loves me so much. And his love for me keeps growing. It's growing. It's not... It's getting more. And, and he said, I felt like I was the only one he loved. And then I would think about my wife 
And I realized he feels the same way about her. Like she's the only one he loves. And he said, everyone I thought about, I realized he feels that way about each person. And then interestingly, he worked with youth in the criminal justice system. And he said, child molesters caused the most damage to people I've ever seen. And as a pastor, I've seen that too. Um, and, And he had a really hard time with that. And he thought to Jesus, even them. And when he did, for the first time, Jesus looks at him and, and he felt, he, he wouldn't call it anger, but kind of like, hey. And he said, who are you to nullify what I have done? And he said, if I want to forgive, when, and, he, and he said, when you put someone in prison, they get out. When someone rejects me, it's for eternity. Who are you to nullify what I have done? And what he came away with is, you know, if God wants to forgive, he's going to forgive. And he's made a way to be just and to do that. And he wants everyone there. The only only people that are kept out of heaven or God's presence are those who don't want God's presence. You know, they don't want God's will be done. They want their will be done. It's our pride. Our pride is the only thing that can keep us out. God, God is like this, you know, and I, in, in the book, I go into it. I, I really believe every relationship we have is simply a metaphor. It's just a shadow of the greater relationship that we were intended for with the one who created us, even spouse to spouse, but surely, you know, parent to child. And he wants all of us there. Some NDEers come back with the understanding that before we're born, we have certain agreements, perhaps with members of the souls that are going to be members of the family, as to certain handicaps, drawbacks, psychological conditions, bad, Mm -hmm. uh, sinful deeds. I mean, that some of this has already been programmed and accepted so that we test one another. What do you think about that? (laughs) You know, I've I've pondered it a lot, and I'm considering writing on it. But I feel like I, I I've got to do I've got to do more research. There's a potential scriptural background for that. I mean, God said to Jeremiah, "Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you." Yes. Before a single day came to pass, they were all written in my book. Okay. Well, what does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> now, the other thing is I don't know what that means. Like, we know that on the other side, time works differently. And so if we only can conceptualize a story as playing out in sequential time, but if that has always been in the mind of God, and we have always been in the mind of God, then essentially our existence is contingent on the mind of God. Is that what people are experiencing or remembering? I I don't know. So there's a vague answer to your question. (laughs) (laughs) I I couldn't have done it better. (laughs) It is a very complex thing, especially when you consider that if time is all the past, the present, and the future on the other side, and we have access to it on the other side, does the soul come into this world knowing the entirety of the life ahead of it? in this linear space. Yeah. And I, and I go into that. In fact, Greg Rickert is an indie ear who I interviewed, who experienced two dimensional time 
through these time portals. And it's fascinating. Hmm. And I believe God is able to work in three-dimensional time, at least, you know, and I, and I give that analogy of the globe, you know, like imagine the, the equator is our one dimensional time and we're, we're moving in one direction from, you know, the United States to Europe, say, uh, but on each longitudinal line up and down is a second dimension of time where each point in that timeline, you can have all the time in the world longitudinally, but then it all comes around the globe up to a single North pole third dimensional point of time that God exists in. And that would mean at that one point of third dimensional time, God sees both the beginning and the end and experiences it all simultaneously, Mm. which I think is exactly what Jesus said. He said, I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Yes. Yeah. Time like that. It's hard to conceptualize what that means or how you would explain it in one-dimensional limited time like we have. And yet that's what we we struggle with (laughs) all the time is to try and put it in earthly terms. And it's really impossible, which brings me to my next question, because when I first read the title of your book, I thought, "Ah, imagining God. (laughs) And what first crossed my mind is, when Moses returned from meeting God on Mount Sinai, his face glowed so brightly he had to cover his face, you know, so as not to frighten the people. Yeah. And God told Moses, even before, I guess Moses asked, can I see you? And he said, you can't see my face. If you look upon my face, you will die. So Moses was only allowed to stare at God's backside, basically. <laughs> so should we rely on NDE descriptions to think of how God should be imagined? and? Are they always light? They're not always light because I've heard some alternate theories from people who've come back. Yeah. Well, and and I and you know, Christians have pushed back on me on those kinds of things. Like, no one has seen God. Jesus said, right? Mm. And I go into that because I believe that God is infinite, eternal. He's both imminent and transcendent, meaning he's always with us all the time. He's the very life force that keeps us going. And, and the scripture says that. And Paul said, in him, we live and move and have our, our very being. You know, Moses said, he is, he is your life. And so I do believe there is a, an imminence to God. He's always, he's always there. He's always with us. That's why he's just right. waiting for us to turn to him. But also he's transcendent, meaning he is infinite and eternal and, and exists outside of what he created. And so because of that, not even the people of heaven can see God, all there is of God, because they're not infinite and eternal. We're not infinite and eternal in heaven. We're still created creatures, mm-hmm. though maybe everlasting, but not eternal. And so, yeah, I think just like Jesus revealed the infinite unseen God to those on earth, I think it's possible, I have a theory, that that the Father in the holy city of God is revealing this unseen infinite God to the inhabitants of the holy city of God, of heaven. Mm -hmm. But still, God is spirit and beyond our conceptualization, beyond what we can see. When the disciples asked about seeing the Father, Jesus told them basically, when you see me, you're seeing the Father. For you, does that have a Trinitarian meaning or, well, how do you interpret that? 
Yeah, I do. And interestingly, in Imagine the God of Heaven, I have multiple indie ears experiencing the triune nature of God, even those who who didn't expect it, like Heidi. I don't know if when you in you know when you interviewed Heidi, but she describes Jesus taking her to the Father and sitting on his lap. Mm. And then she talked about how when he left and put her back in his body, his presence stayed, but she watched him go, which was confusing to her at the time. But she now says that was, you know, that was, that's the Holy Spirit who is, who is with me. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Susan Seymour, who I interviewed. She was a 12 year old girl who brutal, you know, her scarf got caught in a tow rope and drug her up the mountain. Um, Have you ever interviewed? Yes, I have. You know, horrifying accident she went through. Oh, yeah, and I like to, I you know, I I, I like to remind parents who whose kids. I just read a, a guy who just emailed me who horrible. He was he was an eight year old kid, and they were joking around with him and dropped him in a fire, oh. and he thought he was burning to death. But wow. the Lord said, "Grab my hand," and he he grabs his hand, and and the Lord took him out of that, and then all he remembers is popping out of the fire, but he said it felt like, you know, mm-hmm. hours, but he was just there like that. And, uh, you know, the Lord, I think was merciful to, to Susan uh, as well. Um, yes. But she also experiences this triune nature of God. Uh, Dean Braxton, this, this, uh, this other guy, uh, Randy, a CEO I interviewed, you know, talked about that and what they, what they say, which is interesting because you know, I'm 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 exploring all these mysteries in Imagine the God of Heaven. I'm I'm trying to explore these mysteries and and wonders about God, but through the eyes of near death experiencers to help us understand some of the confusing things that Scripture has said. Hmm. And one of the things that they commonly say is that you know when I was talking to Jesus, I knew I was talking to the Father and to the Holy Spirit at the same time. You couldn't separate them. They were one, mm-hmm. but not one like we think of one. And so, you know, Lee, the, the analogy I like to use is the flatland analogy, right? Like if I created a two-dimensional flat world, like on the tabletop, right? And I'm a three-dimensional being. If I stuck my three fingers into their world, it would intersect and show three circles, of my three fingers. That's all they would see is three right. flat circles. Yes. But if I said to them, I'm not actually three circles, I'm actually one being. Well, that would be a paradox to them because three round circles side by side can never stack up my arm mm-hmm. into one being because they don't have a third dimension. And so I posit that maybe, you know, God exists. Well, I think course he does beyond our <laughs> our four dimensions three dimensions of space one dimension of time outside all dimensions i guess but that somehow there's this mystery of the three persons of the trinity that are one and what they say is in heaven it's not a question mm-hmm. how three can be one to elaborate on that i've spoken to andy ears who've come back and said I was talking to Jesus, but in the distance, I could see someone else talking to Jesus. 
Yes. In other words, it's a dimensional extension that we can't yeah. even comprehend in our own understanding of things, except that's what they saw. And when right. you think if Jesus is meeting as many people as is claimed, I mean, with thousands dying every day, this would just be another outreach right. of God, God's love that looks like Jesus. And Lee, that's what I'm trying to do and imagine the God of heaven is, is help us all realize we all put God in a box. We have to, we're finite, right? So yes. whatever size box, different size boxes, but he's bigger than that. And on one side of the box, he's far more mysterious and, and beautiful. Many people don't use the word beautiful, but he's beautiful and sovereign and powerful and, you know, all that. But, on, but on, and, and if we really imagine God well on that side, we'll trust him more. But on the other side of the box, he's far more relatable and personable and even fun and funny. And, and a lot of Christians, you know, they don't let God go, you know, that far, but he is. And I show how, you know, that's who he's revealed himself to be in scripture. And it's also who indie ears are, are testifying. That's what his character is like all over the globe. And so what we think about God and how we imagine God, I believe is the most important thing we think about because it affects how we live, how we love others how what choices we we make or don't make how we persevere through suffering what's our perspective of what we're going through it changes everything yeah you're mentioning that tow rope accident <laughs> it made me think when jesus took peter james and john up on a high mountain there aren't really high mountains in israel but for them, it was, I guess, a high mountain. Golan Heights. <laughs> yeah, right. And it says, there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And then Moses and Elijah appear and are talking with Jesus. It certainly sounds like a near-death experience, doesn't it? Oh, Even yeah. Even though they and, didn't die. Yeah. And, I, and I'm tracing throughout history, the same God has been revealing himself, you know, to Moses, well, all the way back, you know, he created us for relationship. I'm not sure how all this works in the mind of God, but we are growing up in the knowledge of good and evil. Mm. And I believe way back to our other question, I don't think this life is just pre-programmed. I think we have free will because I think it's about love and love requires freedom to choose. And, and, and so God has been allowing us to go through this temporary existence experience and a taste of good and a taste of evil so that we will understand his love and his will and want to and want to follow him but he's always been the same and back in genesis 12 he says to abraham and sarah i'm going to raise you up to be a blessing to all the nations and he speaks to all the nations throughout the prophets for 1500 years when Jesus comes, he dies for all people. And then he says, I want this message of forgiveness in my name told to all the nations. I want everyone to know they're forgiven. Mm. And then in Revelation chapter seven, John is taken up into heaven and he sees around the throne of God, every nation, tribe, tongue, language there in heaven. And, and the whole thing ends with this big wedding. Yeah. So the, the meta narrative of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible is a, 
is God's love story with the nations. And I do think, I do think we get a myopic view sometimes, you know, I mean, every culture does, um, religions do too. I like to remind Christians sometimes that the Pharisees killed Jesus in the name of God, trying to protect their nation from, you know, from Jesus in the name of God. And so we can be deceived and we've got to be very careful that we, you know, we're, we're, we're open to correction and we're searching the scriptures diligently, but we also don't become close-minded to what God might be doing because right. he is mysterious. Yeah. You write in the book, speaking of free will, many ND years come back and seek to learn more about the God of light, but others do not. God gives us the choice to seek him or ignore him. It's also important to note that just because an NDE or sees God does not mean that person knows God or is necessarily right with God. I believe these experiences simply offer the individual a peek into a greater reality, and they are a gift that allows all of us to learn more about who we are in relationship to God. Now, does our free will, the existence of that choice that we make, and it may be, maybe that's the only act of free will we're really given, does that determine the existence of hell? Since we yeah. we're choosing to separate ourselves right, from right. That's a good God. question. Well, and I think I pointed out in in the book, maybe it was an imagined heaven, but you know, Jesus said hell was not created for humans. Hell was created for angels. So angels apparently also have free will and could choose to love God and serve God and follow God's will or say, no, my will be done. The only problem is they are existing in the presence of this eternal, infinite being. And so apparently their choice was an, an, an everlasting one. So where does God then give them what they want if what they want is not God? Well, then he would have to create a place where he stays out, where the light of God doesn't go, where the love of God you know, where the, where the kindness of, of God and, and it allows free-willed creatures, angels or humans to play victimizer or victim. But Jesus said it was created for the angels, not humans. And so, yes, a human can choose that. But I believe like, like uh, Oxford scholar C.S. Lewis said, hell is locked from the inside. It's free-willed creatures wanting to lock God out. And he finally says, and, and in great sadness, your will be done. By the way, in Imagine the God of Heaven, I interviewed multiple people who experienced, God let them experience how he felt about that. And like Erica, maybe you've interviewed Erica before, Erica McKenzie? Yes. Okay. Well, like Erica said, I was in the presence of God and this incredible love, and he's showing me these life lessons. All of a sudden, I felt sadness, like the most intense sadness, like if my entire family were just killed instantly, times a thousand. And she couldn't figure out where is this feeling coming from? And then she mm -hmm. realized it's coming from God. And she said, God, why are you so sad? Mm -hmm. And then he gives her a, a vision of people rejecting him. And to him, it feels like if, if our children were killed, 
And then she wasn't the only indie eater that said that, that they felt this grieving heart of God for those who, who rejected them. We talk, or you talk in the, in the book about NDEers who interpret the identity of God through their own cultural and religious frameworks. And I think you say the divine being they describe as consistent. For instance, regardless of where they're from, NDEers consistently talk about two key characteristics of this God, the God of light and the God of love. But do you think other gods are real entities or just other ways of imagining the same one God? You discuss Kali as in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, couldn't this and Durga? Yeah, yeah. Yes, couldn't so this I... be these strange descriptions? Because Kali's got a very strange description to her. Could they just be other manifestations of the God of Light and Love? Well, so what I was pointing out is that you know there, there like for instance, there are multiple Hindus in in the book. Yes, Doctor Parti, mm-hmm. uh, you know, his chief anesthesiologist the Bakersfield Heart Hospital, Santosh, others. Um, But I also, you know, uh, and and they see this brilliant God of light. Um, And then both of them came to believe he was Jesus. Now, not everybody does. And that's what I was pointing out. Um, For instance, Nia in Africa has a lion, lioness bite her head and she leaves her body and has a near-death experience and she said there was this light this glow like the like the sun like the sunrise that took me to this beautiful place she said some call it heaven some call it god she said god definitely exists and then she when she came back she said i believe that was i believe that was the goddess durga that i experienced now what I'm pointing out is Durga is typically a, a, a woman with 10 to 12 arms and weapons in her hands riding a lion. That's not who, that's not who um, Nia saw. She saw this God of light and, 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 and love who was personal. And interestingly, she said, and when I came back, I had an understanding of Jesus Christ which I had never known anything about. And, and so what I'm pointing out, that's the same with Arvind, who was, who was also um, an Indian uh, who had the same thing, floats out of the hospital into the hallway and sees this, you know, light, this God of light open up. And but he says that was the goddess Kali because that's the goddess he worshiped, Mm -hmm. but that's not who he saw. Kali is typically, you know, blue or black with a long tongue and forearms. And so my whole point is the what they're reporting scene is not necessarily the same as how they interpret the identity of what they're they report scene. Right, right. Well, when BB saw the giant man in a majestic white robe who said, I am he who is to her in, in Persian, by the way. Yeah, she told me it, it, this story in person. Yes, and I saw this in your book. And it seemed to me that perhaps we need at least an understanding of the nature of God in order to recognize the reality through a different religion's image of God. In other words, if you know I am who I am, you know, and that, that extends from the past to the future, if you have that notion and that also acknowledge the love that's coming from this being, maybe that's all you need no matter what the image is. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, get into a pretty technical argument, but I believe that what God did for all humanity through Jesus, it extends back and it extends forward. And for instance, those who existed before Jesus paid for all of our sins could be forgiven by turning to God as they knew him and and genuinely wanting to be right with him. The Ninevites are a great example, right? They were evil. They were doing horrific things. They were they were like the terrorists of our days and 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 yet God wanted them with him and sends Jonah to tell them, turn back to me. And when they do, he forgives. Now, if he forgave them because he knew he was going to pay that price of his justice, that was that was forward-looking. But if he did that for, for people who didn't know the name of Jesus before Jesus, then certainly he can apply that the same way to those who don't know the name of Jesus today, right? Mm-hmm. But I think he does want people to know, just, just like he did with uh, Cornelius. He sent Peter to him so that Cornelius would, would know of the, the love and the forgiveness of God and to know God in a personal way. Yeah. You know, you asked me an interesting question, are there other gods? I think there are, but I think they're angels. I think they're angels playing gods. There are uh, the fallen angels, all the stories of the Greek and Roman gods and goddesses that have such human failings. <laughs> yeah. It seemed to me that they were taking the ro- that role for a while because they were powerful and magical and could win over humanity's imaginations. Yeah. But and, they're fallen angels. Right. And if you study that, I mean, it's fear-based, right? Um, yes. It is. It's like, okay, I got to do this to appease this God because otherwise this bad thing might happen to me. And there's there's not freedom in there. There's not joy. There's not love and peace. And, you know, that's not the that's not the motivation. And, you know, what I'm trying to show in Imagine the God of Heaven is that the true God is a God of joy. And and he actually wants to relieve our burdens and our worries and our fear of condemnation or judgment. And I think, you know, indie ears indicate that in the life review as well. Like he doesn't, he didn't remove his love no matter what. He doesn't. He can't. He 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 loves us like his own kids. And, you know, and 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 so he wants us to be able to walk with him through life in that kind of freedom in that kind of unburdened way, um, which Jesus talked about in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. He said, come to me if you're weary or you're heavy burdened, because I will give you rest. You know, take my yoke on, on me for I'm gentle. Let me teach you because I'm gentle and humble of heart. And, you know, it's fascinating. I, I interviewed this one guy, Dr. Ron Smotherman, who as a psychiatrist and a neurologist. And he was actually stabbed 13 times by a man who had a psychotic break. And this same God of light appears and, and time froze. Literally, he said, the knife froze and God appears. And he said, I, he, he experienced these nine qualities of God instantly. And, and he said, 
He said it was like, imagine being five feet away from the source of a nuclear explosion. He said the light was like roiling like that. But he said, but what was roiling even more with more energy was the love. So he talked about all these qualities, his power, his kindness, that kinder than a thousand wonderful grandmothers. (laughs) But then his last thing he said to me is, and you know, if I had all of these characteristics, I would be the proudest SOB, you know, is what he said. He said, (laughs) but he was so humble. And then, and then he starts to break, he starts to break emotionally. He's like so humble. You don't often think about God is humble, you know, but it's what Jesus said, and it's what NDEers say as well. That, and it, it, it explains a lot. It explains why God waits for us. He doesn't force Himself on us. Yeah. What's well, the gentleness of His nature? Nature of the Spirit. Yeah. That, uh, that makes it seem humble. I don't know that it doesn't even involve ego in yeah. its own, own way. It's just the gentleness of pure love. Yeah. You wrote in the book, The God of Light Reveals to Moses How We Can Know If God Is Truly Communicating to Humanity Through a Prophet. And and Mm. it's the quote is, any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name must die. But that's the sort of justification that religions have used over the millennia to kill anyone that speaks out of theology different from the prevailing church. So that's kind of a scary notion. And I don't know that it really comports with NDEer's understanding of God's nature. Well, I think you have to understand, which I know you do, but I believe that God was doing something unique to bless all the nations in raising up prophets, the Jewish prophets, and creating this whole culture that pretty much insulated them from everyone else. And it was to preserve what he was going to be revealing. And what I'm trying to show is that God actually did give a test in history. You know, I point out that, do we really think that this God who created us just said, knock, knock, hey, I'm here. I I really exist in the age of NDEs, you know, with modern (laughs) modern medical resuscitation. He's been hiding for the rest of history. But no, that's that's not the case. And what I'm trying to show is the same God of light and love revealed himself in history to these prophets. And I give some evidence of that. That is what actually convinced me when I was a skeptical engineer. It wasn't actually near-death experiences. They just opened my mind to the possibility that this is all real. But then when I saw that, you know, for instance, um, in the book of Isaiah, So Isaiah was a prophet writing in about 780 BC, but he says in Isaiah 11, God says to him, in the last days, uh, I will put a sign for the nations. And he says, the branch of Jesse, Jesse was the father of David, and the the branch of David was going to be the, the Messiah. He said, the nations will rally to him, and then I will gather my people the people of Judah, the nation of Israel, a second time, I will regather them from all the nations, from the four quarters of the earth, as a sign to all the nations. So that was written in 780 BC. Jesus said the same thing, basically. He he said, you know, your enemies are going to come upon you, 
and you're going to be scattered to all the nations because you rejected the time of, of my coming. And, and then in Isaiah 66, God says, can a nation be born overnight? And, and it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, it's never happened. He said, but no sooner is Zion, which is the mountain Jerusalem's on, in labor than I give birth to her children. Rejoice with Jerusalem. Now, in 70 AD, the Roman general Titus came in and wiped out Jerusalem, leveled the temple. The Jewish people were scattered. And for 1900 years, they had no government, no land, no nation state, no unifying language. I mean, it's kind of crazy. There's never been a people that I know of that have existed for almost 2000 years scattered. And yet they did. And then in 1948, they are declared a nation overnight when Jewish people from Russia and from Poland and from Germany and from, you know, North Africa and India and the United States all over the world come back. Now, that doesn't mean, and I put that in a footnote, that doesn't mean everything Israel has done or will do is God's will. God uses fallen, messed up people who do screwed up things, me included. Um, but that's a sign. Like, how do you explain that? <laughs> like, you can't fake that. Right. You wrote in your book, God has intersected history more than once, as we will see, and he has given verifiable evidence to his identity. He is the God of light and love who invaded human history with a plan to bless all people of all nations. He is the God both in the ears and scripture says loves us more than we can imagine. But let's try to imagine truly unconditional love. You know, that blessing that God gave to Abraham that he would bless in turn all nations, it's almost the way Jesus blessed the world through suffering. I mean, that yeah. that's a people that has been through hell and high water, as the saying goes, as a lesson and finally, in the reconstruction of Israel, you know, which came out of not only 1917, but also the Holocaust. The Holocaust. So what a huge burden God placed on Abraham's offspring. Well, and, you know, you hear the word chosen people, and, and we mistakenly often think of special or more special or more loved. Yeah. And that's not the case. No. It's, it, chosen means chosen for a responsibility. And, and, and so God was, God's plan was to use the nation of Israel for a responsibility, and, but for the sake of all the nations. Yeah. And, and that's what I think, Lee. I honestly think that God is raising his bar <laughs> of testimony all around the world not only so that all the nations know of, of what he's done in his great love, but also I think to correct Christians to a degree too, kind of like he had to do back in the day of Jesus day with a lot of Jewish people who, who missed what he was doing, that mm. he's not our God. We can't say, oh, mine. Um, you get yourself in a lot of trouble. He does not play favorites and he has done what he's done for every single person. And he's with, every single person. He is he is with them, and he's just waiting for them to turn to him. Yeah. John, thank you so much. We're out of time, but tell the listeners how they can find your books and your website 
and your church? Yeah, anywhere books are sold. Uh, Imagine the God of Heaven is the new book, and Imagine Heaven is the one I wrote before. And um, yeah, if you want to see more, you can go to imaginethegodofheaven.com. So book name, imaginethegodofheaven.com. And your church? Gatewaychurch.com. You're on the internet? Yeah, it's Gateway Church in Austin. There, There are other Gateway Churches that are not us, but Gateway Church in Austin. And I am now the founding pastor. So Carlos Ortiz is my new senior pastor. Uh, and I am I'm moving more into the a supportive role mm-hmm. and trying to let the next generation lead forward and give more of my time actually to this. How does your new pastor feel about NDEs? Well, uh, I guess fine. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just did a series at the church. <laughs> but yeah. he believes in their reality, do you think? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I mean. I, th- I think like like a lot of pastors, I mean, I had a lot of my friends say, you know, when I first heard you were writing on this, I was like, wow, if I didn't know you, I would be like, okay, he's lost it. But <laughs> he said, but because I knew you, I read it and it changed my mind. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a good thing. Yes. Thank you, John Burke, for well, thank doing you, the Lee. show. So great to be on again. It's wonderful to have you, and we'll do it again. You just have to write another book, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> My sincere thanks to Pastor John Burke for sharing the conclusions reached in his new book concerning NDEs, Imagine the God of Heaven. If you enjoyed this conversation, I'd recommend you listen to our two-part interview with Pastor John on the NDE radio shows of April 19th, 2021, and April 26th, 2021, which you'll find in our YouTube library. And likewise, if you'd like to hear this show again or any of our more than 500 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button, or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. Listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.